Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week in Health IT. We started looking at what were those things that we needed to do to allow our consumers and patients to access healthcare the way they wanted to, not the way that we felt that they should, but how could they begin to be able to get healthcare services through their phones or through virtual visits? Thanks for joining us on This Week in Health IT Influence. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week in Health IT, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. Special thanks to our Influence show sponsors, Sirius Healthcare and Health Lyrics for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health IT leaders. If you want to be a part of our mission, you can become a show sponsor as well. The first step is to send an email to partner at thisweekinhealthit.com. Your response to ClipNotes has been incredible, and why wouldn't it be? You helped create it. ClipNotes is an email we send out 24 hours after each episode airs, and it has a summary of what we talked about, bullet points of the key moments in the show, and it has one to four video clips, so you can just click on those and watch different segments that our team pulls out that we think really captures the essence of the conversation. It's simple to sign up. You just go to thisweekhealth.com, click on subscribe. It's a great way for you to stay current. It's a great way for your team to stay current and a great foundation for you and your team to have conversations. So go ahead and get signed up. Today, we are joined by Michelle Stansbury, Vice President of Innovation and IT Applications at Houston Methodist. Good afternoon, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. Well, I'm looking forward to the conversation. We've actually never met. This is the first time we're meeting per se, but I was talking to somebody about their different innovation things. And they said, if you haven't talked to Michelle, you have to talk to Michelle about what they're doing down at Houston Methodist. And so we connected via phone and now we're connecting uh, to share this with the community because it was a great conversation. So I'm looking forward to hearing about what's going on at Houston Methodist, but let's start highlight. How does Houston Methodist approach innovation? I, I realize that's a a 45-minute PowerPoint presentation, but let's just start with the basics and then we'll boil it down from there. Well, I want to kind of take it back to the basics of why we even created our Center for Innovation. I mean, innovation is not new to Houston Methodist. Of course, we have a research institute. So most people are very familiar with Dr. Michael DeBakey and all of the innovations and in heart that he has done. So clinically, we've done a lot. But what happened about four years ago which I'm sure you're very familiar with, Bill, is these disruptors that were coming into healthcare that were never, had never even had healthcare experience, thinking that they could solve the world of healthcare. And we sat down and there was a small group of us that was kind of trying to pay attention to what was going on. And it quickly became obvious to us that we were either going to let these outside influencers disrupt our business, or we were going to do it to ourselves. And so that was the decision that we made. And we created this kind of small group. And it really kind of started off almost like a small book club of us just meeting and really connecting and, and talking about the stories and the things that people were doing without with these disruptors. And it's like any group, we love, we named ourselves the DIOP group. And it was the Digital Innovation Obsessed People Group. And that has kind of stuck with our CEO, and he will always know, know us as the DIOP group. But so we started looking at what were those things that we needed to do 
to allow our consumers and patients to access healthcare the way they wanted to, not the way that we felt that they should, which is if you think about the old traditional ways of phone calls and seeing your doctor, but how could they begin to be able to get healthcare services through their phones or through virtual visits? And how could we make it easier for them to be able to get those services? So that's kind of how we started off. And really in, within this core group that we have now known as our Center for Innovation, we all kind of hold dual roles and we represent the entire organization. So IT is there, hospital operations is there, our physician group, marketing, HR, everyone that you can think of is sitting in within this group. And what we tended to look at were how could we create efficiencies with providing healthcare services, but also how could we create efficiencies for our clinicians in-house? Because we know EMRs have been great, but they tended to really get people focused on computers and not in front of the patients. And then also, how could we really attract and retain top talent? So that was our other constituent group that we looked at, which was our employees, our potential employees. And when it came down to what do we look at, we kind of broke it out into very specific areas for our patients or consumers, our employees and our physicians. What could we do within hospital services that could be easier in, to access or e easier to be used? And then ultimately, we now are kind of focused in on this kind of remote monitoring. And I think everybody is, is kind of gone down in this path. But way back in the very beginning, it was really about how are we allowing patients to get easier access to this big, huge health system that was giving traditional care, if you could think of it in that aspect. It's interesting. I'm looking at this slide deck and you shared with me a slide deck that you just presented to another organization. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that strikes me that the DIOP group, thank you for giving us another acronym. We were hoping we would get another acronym in healthcare, but the representation in the Center for Innovation, I think is fascinating. IT, obviously, physicians and the physician organizations, maybe not as obvious, but makes sense. Finance, supply chain, clinical operations, HR marketing. You have the foundation, which I assume is philanthropy and, and yes. fundraising, legal, global operations and, and research institute as well. That is really well-rounded. I'm not sure I've seen another organization that has all of that represented. And so I would imagine when you're having the conversations, you get a lot of really good different perspectives and, and different lenses on various problems. We do. And that's the beauty of it. We meet weekly. We meet weekly for an hour and a half. And we bring in most individuals who have certain issues that they're looking at. And so the thing I find interesting about that is you have a very diverse group and you get a very, uh, a lot of different lenses on similar problems. Do you find that that really helps to define the problem really well and to define what solutions make the most sense? It does. I will tell you with the diversity that we have in this group, the good news is, is that we're looking across the entire organization on potential solutions to problems. And I will tell you, that's what we focus on. Because I tell people all the time with all of these innovative companies that are out there and they're great, is that you can kind of get the starry eyed of, oh, wow, that solution, can't we do something with it? 
but we want to make sure that we're focused on the problems that we have at Houston Methodist. And so we meet weekly for an hour and a half, this entire group, and we're all looking. We're all looking for those solutions that are out there that we know are problems in the very specific areas that you talked about. And if they find a specific solution that they're interested in and they want to pilot, now I want to kind of clarify, what we do in the Center for Innovation is we pilot different solutions. We don't operationalize solutions across the organization. What we do is pilot. And in order for you to pilot a solution, it has to have what problem you're solving, what's the ROI, and that's very key. We don't do pilots unless they have a solid ROI for us. And then once we pilot that solution, whether it be within our technology hub, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, or within one of our units at the hospital or within our physician organization, if it's successful, then we will graduate it. It has to have a very specific business owner and someone within IT to forward to make sure that it gets operationalized quickly. So it's the, the beauty of that group is that we have representation across our organization and know exactly what problems that we're trying to solve. Now, we do have key level areas that we're very focused in on, but it does not mean that we won't consider something that someone else is bringing if it doesn't quite fit in one of those key areas. And you talked about, you have some of these categories here, patient-oriented technologies, marketing, new patient acquisition, clinician operations, and whatnot. The thing I like about this chart is it's so clean. You have the pipeline. This is stuff that people have come in and said, hey, take a look at this. This is really good. But I love the fact that you have pilot and rest in peace. The, the RMP, it has a little little tombstone there. Yes. And, and I, I'm often saying to people, moving something into that column is a win. And it is, it, very much so. It, it is one of the things that was very, I, I will tell you, for, for old ways of thinking, calling a project a failure was almost just never heard of. Nobody wanted to do that. Let's just keep trying and trying and trying until we can make it work. For us, we want to very quickly, and we've, we've got this motto, it's either succeed fast or fail fast. And if it's not working, we're going to fail it. But we need to make sure that we're learning. Why did it fail? Because it doesn't mean that we won't go out and search for another solution. But whatever other solution that we find, it, it ha we have to make sure that we learned our lessons from the other one. But I will tell you, that's been one of the key things that I think for any healthcare institution that is really trying to innovate, don't be afraid to, to fail because that's all part of innovating. The thing I find interesting is this chart that you have, it has your pipeline, your pilots, your failures, and it has your graduates. And it's actually one of the cleaner ones I've seen. I mean, I've seen these things so gunked up with projects because they don't move. They tend to like sit for a long period of time. I'm curious on your graduates. I, I, I mean, you could comment on that if you want, but I'm curious on your graduates. Do they go into a holding pattern or do they immediately, do, do people like pick them up and run with them almost immediately? Oh, no. They, they, it's almost immediately. When we graduate them, that's what we, that's as I said, they have to have an operational owner identified and their IT partner in order to make sure that they can operationalize them very quickly. And I will tell you, that's what really helped us as part of overall when the pandemic hit, because we had many of these solutions that were already in place. I mean, I'll be honest with you, when 
we very first had our community spread patient. We'd been hearing about the pandemic kind of going on in others. But when Houston very first, this community spread patient, we called everybody in that was part of the Center for Innovation and said, okay, what solutions do we have now that will be able to help us that we can quickly roll out? Maybe we were just kind of finishing in them in the pilot phase so that we can quickly roll out that will be able to help us to be able to take care of these patients as we know it's going to quickly ramp up in our organization. So that's what I will tell you the reason why, and I know some people have asked us, will you, because you've done so well in the Center for Innovation, have you ever really considered taking everybody out and separating them and creating this own nucleus group without their dual roles? And, and I will be honest, our CEO and everyone has, no, we will not. Because that is what we believe has made us so successful um, is because we each do. Now, I will tell you, I have a full-time role in IT, is managing, if you can imagine, all of the IT applications within overall our health system. And then I also have a half a part of my job is spent on this Center for Innovation. So does it make for a busy life? Yes, it does. But it's very, very rewarding to be able to see that we can get out and get these solutions and bring them in very quickly to bring value to our organization. You know, the, the other thing, and I, I want to talk about the pandemic because I want to talk about what are some of the things you did specifically in the pandemic. But before we get there, there are the, the UPMCs, the Jeffersons, the Providence that are focused on commercializing a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. what, what's your focus? But that's not our focus. And we've had other individuals that ask us about that. For us, it's really about our patients, our clinicians, our health system. That's what we want to remain focused on. There's been this piece, well, should we venture out? Should we start becoming more doing these joint ventures and some of the other things? And we believe that's going to take away from what we're trying to accomplish for our health system. And it's been great. And I will tell you, we work a lot with Providence. We work a lot with some of these other organizations and just kind of comparing notes. But we just don't believe that's the right thing for us. We want to stay focused in on our health system and not so much trying to create products to go off and sell. And, and it's not to say that's a very worthwhile cause. And I really appreciate some of the things that Providence is doing. But it's just not for Houston Methodist. Yeah. So you're you're focused on internal innovation and innovating around your clinicians, your patients, your community. We believe that's where our success lies. And and what was our whole main purpose? Our main purpose was doing this so these disruptors out there couldn't come and really disrupt and kind of they chip away at some of our own business. And I mean, we've been very successful at that. And I will say our, our overall brand within the Houston and surrounding community is very high. We're not out to be the cheapest hospital, but we are out to provide the best quality safety care and innovative services to our community and our patients we serve. Yeah, I, I, I did another interview with Josh Soul and, yes. and Notable. And so Notable is one of the technologies that has graduated from mm -hmm. your plan. I, the thing I like about this is it, when you're focused in on your community, a pandemic hits and it, it is very clear what the group is about. It's like, okay, we've got this pandemic. Did you narrow down your focus from these seven or eight categories down to a handful as a result of the pandemic? And then what innovations did you, did you move through to address the pandemic? Well, I would tell you one of the key, there was probably two key areas that really helped us immediately during the pandemic. And that was 
we were just starting to do virtual medicine. It was really working well within our primary care group. A lot of our specialty physicians weren't really doing it. I think they believed it wasn't really going to be necessary. And then our other was our virtual ICU. And so we had set up our virtual ICU in our main hospital, but really hadn't expanded across to our community-based hospitals. We had plans to, and we were going to do that within the next year and a half, kind of as an overall project. But I'll tell you, when the pandemic hit, we knew that virtual medicine was going to be absolutely necessary, especially when we shut down all of our clinics. And so our technology hub, and it's something that we hadn't gotten to talk about yet, but we created an innovation technology hub. It's within our hospital, within one of the our old units that was being decommissioned. So our chief innovation officer is also our CEO of our largest hospital. So she was, when we were talking about doing this, we were thinking about looking off site and she was like, no, I'm going to let you all have this. So what we did was we took this nursing unit and created what we called our R&D space. And Basically, it has a, a home of the future, clinic of the future, hospital inpatient room of the future, virtual reality room, plus has co-development space within there so that we can work with other outside organizations if we're doing a true co-development project. But what we had to do when the pandemic hit, we had to quickly train all of our physicians to be able to do virtual visits. Well, we already had it set up within our technology hub. So what we did within over a two-week period, we trained over about 600 physicians to be able, how could they do virtual visits with their patients? What did the technology look like? How would they be able to launch those virtual visits? How would they document overall within our EMR on those visits as well? And then the other piece that we had to do was our virtual ICU. I told you we were planning on expanding it across our organization within a year and a half. Within six months, we had it up all over with all in our community hospitals, everything else, plus a virtualized command center where we had hospitalists and, and different groups who were maintaining and watching over these patients. The other thing that we had to do very quickly was when in our COVID units to be able to help our clinicians not always have to go into those rooms, we put iPads in every single one of those rooms so that a virtual visit could be done with that patient if need be, instead of them having to gown up and everything else to, get, to be able to just look, get basic information from the patients at the time. But also too, because patient family members could not visit those COVID units, we actually made it possible for family members to dial in and have face-to-face -face virtual conversations with their families. And so it became just this really nice opportunity so that family members could still communicate with their families that were in the COVID unit, if that was possible. We all know if they were intubated or whatever it would be. But before that happened, they could at least have some sort of communication or at a time when if maybe the nurse was just in the room and wanted to be able to communicate with the family, with their patient, with their family members. You guys did so much and the stats are pretty impressive from a virtual care standpoint, did a lot around vaccine tracking. When the pandemic hit, we really redefined what it meant not to deliver care, but to access care. And it, it happened in a lot of different methods. I assume I'm looking at your fully customized my chart. You gave people a lot of different ways that they could interact with you, not only virtually, they could schedule appointment, they can they could do a lot of things. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your customized my chart. Why did you decide to go down that 
fully customized route. And how does that differ from what you had before? Well, I will tell you, and that's a project we're working on right now, but I'm going to back up and tell you what did help us tremendously was what we found was that patients, patients don't like to log into my chart. What they prefer as their preferred mode of communication is texting. And in that presentation that I gave to you, it's a company that we worked with called Well Health. And I'm going to tell you, it's become our preferred mode of communication with our patients. We do bi-directional communication with them as well. So it's a reminder of your appointment. It allows you to text back if you want to reschedule that appointment. It will give you directions to where you need to go. We used it heavily for our vaccines to be able to, one, remind patients they could sign up for their vaccines, and then also of sending out the questionnaire that they needed to complete prior to coming in. But I will tell you, we're really expanding upon that now. There's two products that we will use. One, I will tell you, is Well Health, but the other one is on CareSense that we found. And this is where we work with, I will tell you, kind of newer companies that are out there. They've got a product. They maybe have implemented at a small institution, but they're looking for a big health system to really help them further develop their product. So CareSense was another one that we used. And what CareSense allows, it's Care Pathways. I'm sure you're familiar with that. But the pathways that allows you to send communication by that patient's preference for what they need to do before they get into the hospital and what they need to do after they leave the hospital. So in its little bite-sized pieces of information, you should be taking this medication, you should be looking at your dressing, changing your dressing, what this is what you should be eating or and so forth. And what we found by these little bite-sized chunks of information, whether it be through Well through CareSense, is that we got really great adherence to what people should be doing. And I will tell you, high patient satisfaction rate dramatically decreased our readmissions and length of stay for that care sense, for the pathways that we have that we're using them on. But then on well, we're now expanding that so that whenever you're discharged from the hospital, discharge order is placed, we're getting ready to do um, a pilot that will send you a text notification it's giving your discharge, bite-sized chunks, discharge information in that text space, but it will allow you, the patient, also to ask questions if you didn't quite understand something. And so this is where we're finding, as I said, people don't want to log into my chart. They don't want to have to log into other pieces. They want their information the way that they're used to using. And how much do we text today? All the time. So... That's what we have found has been beneficial for our patients. And I will tell you, we're even looking at a potential solution with an organization that provides text-based healthcare. So minor things, right? But hey, you're able to, I've got a sore throat or I've got a headache or I've got whatever. And you have a physician on the other end that is texting you specific information. And of course, if it ever gets to a point he or she feels you need to come to the doctor for an in-person or virtual, they can offer that to you as you're having that text-based interaction. So it's reducing the friction. So as I'm, I'm thinking about this, 
texting with patients. I, I assume there's a lot of data that goes into this. So you're looking at the data, you're looking at the engagement rates, you're looking at the the no-show rates, the people showing up to their appointments and those kind of things. The data has to drive how you're thinking about these things. When you step into a pilot, like say with Well, do you have all that data or is it one of those you do the pilot and you just, the, the data is overwhelming and you realize, yeah. hey, you know what? They're telling us something with this overwhelming response. Well, I will tell you, we already we had had another solution that we were using for appointment reminders, and that's what we started off with. So we kind of had baseline information, right, of our no-show rates, cancellations, all of that. So I do recommend if there's any way possible when you go into a pilot, if you have some sort of baseline information to compare it to. But remember, we always have what's our ROI that we're looking for when we go into these. Just the ones that you mentioned there, substantial. Substantial, you know, reduction in no-shows, substantial reduction in cancellations by the solution that we had. Hence the reason why we are still continuing to expand it across our organization and things that we're trying to do. When you're when you're dealing with consumers, is it just make it as easy as possible? Is that what they're looking for? Easy in their I want to say workflow. It's not really their workflow, it's in their life flow. Healthcare. Yeah. yeah. I want you to stop and go back and think. I keep telling everybody, the CVSs, the Walmarts, the Walgreens, and some of the others, they're not trying to build hospitals. That's not what they're trying to do, and they never will. Yeah. I mean, what are they trying to do? It's the outpatient business, which we all know for a healthcare system is very important. And so why does that CVS, Walgreens, why, why is it that they would attract those consumers to go there? Convenient. It's all about convenience. We are a society that is so busy that we cram so much in our daily lives that to stop and think about having to make a phone call to make a doctor's appointment, now I have to travel down to that doctor's appointment, and then what if I have to get referred to somebody else, and then end up having to have a hospital stay? Well, think about the length of time that you're spending to do that. So how can we reduce that down to make it more convenient and easy so that, yes, you will want to continue to come to Houston Methodist and not, well, I'm just going to go over here because it, it's it's just easier for me. And I'll think about if it's more detailed healthcare, I'll, I'll maybe think about it. So easier for consumers. Talk to me about the clinicians. What kind of things have you found and where are you focusing those innovations? Well, I'll tell you, it's one of the biggest areas that we believe is kind of the future of healthcare is voice. So we use voice in our daily lives. We use it in our homes. We use it in our cars. We do a lot. And so one of the things, and, and I know there are different voice vendors that are out there that have products, but when we were looking at it on the full spectrum of care, we didn't believe that it fully met everything that we wanted to do. And so kind of our two first pilot initiatives was on one, ambient listening. And so we've got a pilot within eight of our clinics right now. And the product, it's learning itself. It's learning the, the clinician's voices and what modifications we need to make. But we couldn't do it ourselves. And so who's the leading kind of voice vendor that's out there? So we partnered with AWS, Amazon, and to do this co-development with them. And then the other piece, not only for our physicians, and where I will tell you that our ambient listening product, it goes from the very first to the full spectrum down to even coding of the case. So when you're finished with seeing that patient, all you have to do is then look at the physician, just have to look at the record, make sure all the notes were captured, 
all of the codes were captured correctly for that visit. And if it's done, he signs off and it's done. It's ready to go and be sent out for a claim. So versus your other vendors, I know they're not there yet. They may get there, but that's where it is that our product that we wanted to make it as easy, simple as possible and have it be done with. The other piece is within our ORs. And when you're looking at a surgery case, stop and think about all of your clinical staff, not just your surgeon in there, that are having to do something on that computer. And whether it's starting the case, starting the tourniquet, and you're having to document all of these things within the EMR. And plus, maybe during the case, you need to see labs or you need to see PACS images or what else. So we said, wouldn't it be nice if you're in the OR and the surgeon or the staff are needing to do something, wouldn't it be nice if they could just voice it and it be done? And so that's what we have created. We've got it going in um, a couple of pilots in our ORs right now. Again, it's in learning mode. Um, but the ultimate goal is really just to increase the efficiencies over all of our clinicians. And we've done really well with these kind of two groups, our PO physicians and our surgeons, so much so that our nurses are now. They're like, wait a minute, we need some efficiencies in our workload as well. So it's something that we're now exploring. What are the potential use cases that we can use voice with our nurses on top of something else that we're already doing? Because we've got voice now within every patient. Not only do we have iPads in every one of our rooms, but we've got Echo devices in every room. I will tell you, a lot of it's just been used for music. But one skill that we have developed is if you have discharge medications that you're going home with and you have a question, you can get in touch with a pharmacist directly on that echo dot to go through your discharge medications. Wow. My gosh, you say so much in a short period of time. I have like 55 questions. Let me start with the one of the challenges with ambient listening is the amount of medical jargon, medical terminologies, and the medical terminology is different from field to field. And so it, it's, it's been hard for anybody to really develop all those dictionaries and, and all those vocabularies. And so they have to really focus it down. Is that the purpose of just going into the OR? Because you can just focus mm -hmm. in on certain phrases and certain activities? It is. And that's where you can take off. You, you can look at these projects. Think about nursing. Think about the full nursing workflow. It's huge, right? So we're really trying to narrow it down is where are the two or three use cases that we believe brings high impact and efficiencies to the nursing. And let's start off with those. And if you can start off with those and get those done right, then all you're doing is just continuing to keep add on. It's kind of like in the ORs and some of the other areas. If you get the technology down and you get to where you've got the right foundation, then it's easier to add instead of trying to break off the mountain and crawl up it. And then you're looking at a two to three year project. And it's interesting. So you're selecting a partner in AWS and AWS obviously is very good with voice with commands like play some music and, and do those kind mm -hmm. of things. But they're, they're also good with dialects. They're good with multiple languages. They're good with, so there, there is a baseline to start with as you're creating that if you select a partner and, and go that route. And I assume they're really happy to work with you because they're trying to figure out where can I play in this healthcare space? 
they are. And this is where I would tell you, it's a true partnership. And we have really appreciated the executives and the people that we've been working with at Amazon. They know some of the spaces that we're working in is not, you know, something. I, everyone has heard of Amazon Care and AWS trying to get into healthcare and everything else. This isn't a space they're trying, that they're going to, oh, we're going to develop it with you and then we'll take it away from you. No, that is not within their mindset. But they are very interested in working with healthcare organizations to one, does it increase? I will tell you from them, the business case has to be right in order to for them to even do co-development with us. I mean, I will tell you, they have told us it was many systems have come up and just said, hey, we want to do a joint project with you. Okay, what do you want to do? We're like, I don't know, just something that would be really cool for our institution. And the one thing that we have done that Amazon very much appreciates is we really drill it down. We drill it down to these two to three use cases that makes it easier for us to work on with them. And Amazon kind of has this life cycle. I mean, they'll develop it up to a point with you and then they want to hand it off. They don't want to just continue to keep going on. And that's what's good for us. It helps us build that foundation build the skill sets that we need so that we're, we're going to be made self-sufficient later on. So you still have a team internally that works with them to build these things out, or is it more they're the developing it and you're utilizing it, or is it more they're a platform? And once you develop a skill, you've developed a skill and that could be deployed to any Echo Dot across the entire ecosystem. This is, again, I want you to stop and think about you're integrating this information into the EMR. So in essence, they're also working with Epic because we're an Epic client. And it's, so you can't, it's not just Amazon, it's Amazon and Houston Methodist and Epic so that as our clinicians are utilizing voice in their daily workflow, it's being captured within our EMR. And so it's, as that's why I talked about it's building the foundation. So yes, they're working with our staff as well. They're utilizing their expertise to help us with this development. But ultimately, Amazon's not there to be your long-term development partner. They're there to help develop the solution. And then we're done. You take it, you support it. And continue on the development if that is what you so you know desire. So it's the one thing I do appreciate about working with them is you're getting that knowledge and expertise in kind of these short sprints to be able to help you get these use cases developed and in a working model. So let me ask the two questions to, to close with. One, I just came back from the health conference, and one of the questions that was often posed to larger organizations, as opposed to CVS, posed to Walmart and others. It's, we're an innovative startup and we want to work with you. What does that look like at Houston Methodist? It's a very good question. And I will tell you, we're always looking for newer organizations. There's a small core group of us, and it's probably about five, six of us that are really out looking for new innovative companies that are there. But the one thing that it has to do is what problem is it solving for us? And I will tell you, I get a lot of interest from a lot of organizations. Let me show you our product. Can I show you our product? Can I show you what we're doing? I try to at least get some information about it because while I continue to want to see new potential solutions, 
is that it really has to solve a problem for us. And if it doesn't, what we do is we call it, we put it on the shelf. We put it on the shelf here. This is a company we looked at, very promising, but not something that we're interested in really doing anything with right now. And maybe later on, as I said, this core group coming up with what problems we're trying to solve, we'll remember, we've got a list of these companies that we'll go back and look at. But when you've got a hundred companies that's at you all the time, it's very hard to kind of keep up. I could spend a full-time job of doing nothing but looking at new innovative companies that are out there. And I just have, we all have to remember, we need to stay focused. What are those things that we want to solve for Houston Methodist? Yeah, I want to I want to ask you about because this seems to be I want to ask you about labor shortages. So this seems to be a problem that is starting to be exacerbated and we're seeing numbers like a shortage of 500,000 nurses across the US by the year and it's not that far out it's like 2025, you know, mm-hmm. which is really right around the corner. Are are you starting to think about how you're going to create new levels of efficiency and help nurses to be able to handle more and those kind of things as the shortage gets worse? Yes, yes, and yes. And I I will tell you, in working with our CNOs at all of our institutions, creating efficiencies is their number one priority. And so that's the reason why we're doing multiple things to be able to, to work with overall our nursing staff. But I will tell you, one of the other key items that they're looking at is how with the solutions that we're creating, create these efficiencies and create us as a differentiator to attract and retain those nursing staff. So why would they want to come to Houston Methodist? Look at all of the things that we have to decrease the burden of your workload that you have as being a nurse. I think that's part of you're going to hear nurses are tired. Physicians are tired. Everyone's just tired these days from having to deal with the pandemic. And so if there's anything that we can do to create those efficiencies within overall our EMR, whether it be through voice, whether it be through some other technology, that's, yes, one of the main reasons that we're doing it is because of the burden that the EMR has put with on overall clinicians. EMRs are great, but it has tied them to all the data that you have to put in in order to make them work appropriately is what you're yeah. seeing now that is causing the burnout. I think it was a nurse. It might have been a doctor. Explained it to me once. He said, all right, here's what I want you to do for the next week. Every time you talk to a person, I want you to pull up your phone. I want you to log that conversation. I want you to log the topic. I want you to log what you told that person to do. And then I would like you to text them in uh, a week to let them know that you're following up to see how they're doing. Because now do that with every conversation you have. (laughs) Because now you have an idea of what my life is like. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Everything you do within that hospital has to be documented. That in and of itself is is pretty overwhelming. And I guess that's part of the ambient listening, the promise of ambient listening, even if it's just picking up portions of that. But if you get a whole the whole note typed up and just approve it, mm-hmm. I would assume that's that's the holy grail right there. That's the ultimate goal. And the other thing I would tell you in looking at innovative solutions is don't always just think it's going to solve one problem. I will tell you in some of the things that we've done, it has solved multiple problems for us. We didn't realize it in the beginning and we don't always just look at healthcare. You can learn a lot from other industries on maybe it's patient movement, maybe it's other things, but there's so much opportunity that's out there. As I said, it's just how do you keep yourself focused? And as you kind of reference the spreadsheet, 
almost what it looks like. That's how we do. And one of the things that I will tell you, you kind of said on looking at these new vendors, I challenge my team all the time. What are the vendor solutions that we don't have that for problems that we're trying to solve that are on this sheet? If we don't, those are the ones you should be focused on. Not bringing in, looking at all of these other innovative companies that are reaching out to you on a daily basis. If you're not getting solutions for those, those are the ones that you better be focused on. Do you miss the conferences, the the big box conferences? I do. Because the only thing that I will tell you, there's two things that I miss about the conferences is one of getting out to be able to look at the different vendor solutions because I love the exhibit halls. That's where I probably spend the majority of my time because it kind of gives you the idea of what's new that's out there. But the other thing that I truly miss is just the after session conversations or dinner conversations. You tend to learn so much from other people who are attending of things that maybe you haven't even thought of. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful now that things seem to be on the downward trend. And I hope it stays that way that with these conferences that we'll be able to start attending them. Michelle, thank you very much for your time. It's really exciting what you're doing at Houston Methodist. You and the team uh, are doing some great things. I hope to catch up with you again next year and, and hear about some of the progress you guys are making. Sure, would love to. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. What a great discussion. If you know of someone that might benefit from our channel, from these kinds of discussions, please forward them a note perhaps your team, your staff. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to this show. It's it's conference level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com, or they can go wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, which is what I use, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we're out there. They can find us. Go ahead, subscribe today, send a note to someone and have them subscribe as well. We want to thank our channel sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health IT leaders. Those are VMware, Hillrom, Starbridge Advisors, Aruba, and McAfee. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.